welcome to the weekly podcast of Trinity Life Church. We are a local church that gathers in downtown Toronto on Sundays and all throughout our city during the week. Now our mission is to help people discover their identity and destiny in Christ so we can influence our city, our country, and our world. If you're looking for a place to call home, we'd love to have you. Our services are Sunday from 10.30 to noon at Jarvis Collegiate. Enjoy this week's podcast. our series today called You Live What You Love. We've been going through this passage in Luke 10 for the past three weeks, and we're going to dive into some things today that we haven't, that we haven't touched on in the past few weeks. And today our emphasis is love the Lord your God with all of your strength. So we've talked about love the Lord your God with all of your, your mind, with all of your soul, with all of your heart, and now we're going to talk about loving the Lord your God with all of your strength. We've been talking about these commitments throughout the month of February, this commitment to uh, marriage and family and vocation, and, uh, and today we're talking about the commitment uh, to community. Right, last week we talked about uh, soul and faith and your philosophy of life, things like that, but today we're talking about your commitment to community. And, and uh, as, as we talked about earlier in the opening, because that's where you, 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 your strength increases with community. So I remember that as we talk about love, um, we, we don't have to say either or. It's not, is love a, an internal feeling, is it an external force, is it, is it an emotion? Yes, it's, it's all those things, but it's also a choice. It's something we choose. We choose to experience God's love. It's saying yes to one thing and no to a bunch of other things. Right? That's commitment, because uh, those things tend to compete with these things. And love is so important because you live what you love. You are what you love, and then you live what you love. So loving the Lord your God with all of your strength. It's why when we put up that graphic, we had you focus on the neon sign, on, on that light, that neon light piercing the darkness. And, uh, and there's like this, this strength to it. It's why Missy and I started out with our, our, our little fun thing, uh, because there's, there's strength. So how do we love the Lord your God with our strength? And why are we talking about this one last? Because we kind of put them out of order, right? That's because your strength, or I should say the strength uh, of your source is found in community. Think about that. Because what is your source? Well, your source is God. And you're like, wait, the strength of God is found in community? Yes. It's found in an eternal, eternal, I guess you say, eternally existing, perfectly loving community called the Trinity. Guys, it's Trinity life. And I don't, it's Trinitarian life. It's why we call our church Trinity Life, because that is the community we've been invited into. That is the community that we hope to embody in this world. That is the community that we invite others into. It's your eternal purpose out of Ephesians. It's your, it's your eternal vocation out of this passage. It's experiencing God's love. It's loving God. It's loving others. That is Trinity Life. That's the Trinitarian life. It's your eternal purpose. It's what we're invited into. So, all that is informing this passage. The previous three weeks are informing uh, this sermon. And so if you've missed the previous three weeks, I really encourage you to go listen to those other three because the way I'm preaching this passage today, the way we're going to talk about it, the way we're going to walk through this, 
uh, is based on what we talked about last week and the week before and the week before. So they're all coming together here uh, today. And, and so let's, let's check this out because Jesus has, he's had this um, question and answer thing with this lawyer and who, who is, who's testing him, who, who asks him how he's supposed to inherit eternal life. And, and Jesus says, uh, love the Lord your God. Well, like I said, the lawyer says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, mind, love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, yes, that's right. He affirms it. Uh, and then the lawyer says, well, who is my neighbor then? And that's where we're going to pick up. And Jesus replies, again, with a story, like I said last week. And he says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. So a very specific passage, Jerusalem to Jericho. I've, I've uh, driven that road before. Uh, I have not walked it. It would be a pretty arduous walk. It's very hilly. Guys, Jerusalem to Jericho is descending as well to the Dead Sea uh, in that valley. So... On the way from Jerusalem to Jericho, you descend a lot, uh, like, I don't know, thousands of feet probably. So um, you're, so it's, it's a known road, it's a common road. Uh, uh, Jesus specifies that road, Jerusalem to Jericho. And, and he says, this man fell among robbers who stripped him, beat him, departed, leaving him half dead. Not in a bad, not in a, not in a good situation, very bad situation. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road. And when he saw the victim, what does he do? Well, he switches sides of the road. He doesn't want to get near him. He, he goes the other side and passes by on the other side. And, and a, the priest here uh, is, is someone who would have offered sacrifices and performed religious rituals in the temple. So think of a church, like think pastor, elder of a church. That's the priest here. So imagine the leaders in your church doing this. The leaders of our church doing this. And just saying, ooh, no, there's someone in need. Like obviously in need. He's half dead. He's stripped. He's beaten. Has nothing left. And I'm going to just go on this side of the road. Act like I didn't even see him. That's the picture Jesus is giving us here with, with the priest doing that. And the priest is leading other people, right? He's, he's, he's the priest of the temple. He's, he's, uh, one of his jobs is to lead others to worship God. But you see here he's living what he loves. And it's not what Jesus says we should be experiencing in God's love. And then, 32, so likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, Guess what he does? Well, he also passes on the other side. And a Levite would have been like, uh, like a deacon or you know, on a serve team. Or this is someone who assisted in the maintenance of the temple services, right? And, and, and helped make things happen. Who was more behind the scenes and helped help make things happen. This, this was a Levite. And so both of these guys, they, um, maybe because of religious principles, maybe because of um, uh, cleanliness laws, ritual purity, things like that, they pass by on the other side. So the, the priest lets his religion uh, and these rituals inform what he does in this moment. That's what he loves. The Levite, maybe, maybe he has his tasks on his mind or, or similar things. So 
the ritual. So he, he does the same thing. They both pass by on the other side. But into the Samaritan. A Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where the victim was, where he was. And when the Samaritan saw him, it says in verse 33, he had compassion. Guys, this word uh, for compassion is one of my favorite words in, in the Greek. And I'm sharing it with you now because it's just so funny. Uh, it's, it's a funny type word. Um, but it's, it's the word uh, splankna. That's, that's the Greek word for this, when he had compassion. And, and the word literally means uh, uh, and, and refers to bowels or intestines, right? This core, the core of your being. So when you feel compassion, when the Samaritan felt compassion, when he had compassion, he felt that in the very core of his being. And guess what? He couldn't control it. It just happened. It wasn't like he thought, okay, I'm going to be compassionate and I'm going to have my stomach turn into a knot. I'm going to feel this in my bowels and my intestines. No, his compassion just exuded out of him because of, of, um, because he's experiencing God's love, right? This is all in the context of the greatest commandment. And the Samaritan is the epitome that Jesus is trying to show. He's the hero of the story. Uh, the one who experiences God's love, who loves God and loves others, right? And, and so the Samaritan, he experiences this in his splachna, right? That this compassion that he can't even control. It just overflows out of him to this person he doesn't even know. He can't control it. It's just the, the natural or supernatural overflow of God in him and through him. And he exercises that compassion. He exercises it. Remember, guys, I think I said this two weeks ago. It's not, I think, therefore I am. So we don't see the Samaritan here thinking, should I have compassion? We don't see him mentally processing this and wondering, hey, should I do this? Should I not do this? He was just compelled to do it because of love. So it's not, I think, therefore I am. Remember what I said two weeks ago. It's, I am loved. Therefore, I am. It's your identity. And then I am, therefore, I love. It's your destiny, your purpose. And then I love, therefore, I live. It's your influence. Right? And, and, and all those things flow out of this eternal vocation, this, this experience of God's love. We aren't primarily thinking beings. I know we think we are, especially where we are post-enlightenment, scientific age, Cartesian philosophy, all those things are informing us. We live in such a Google information-saturated world. We have all this information. Uh, But we're primarily beings who are directed, guided, pushed forward by our loves and by our desires. By our loves and by our desires. That's why we talked about Psalm 37 last week. Delight yourself in the Lord. Because in that will inform your desires. He will inform you. Do you, and then here, if, you, if you're wondering, okay, is that right? You're processing this right now. Do you realize that most of what you do throughout your day, you're not consciously thinking about? A lot of what you do is unconscious or fast-track brain thought, as, as Jim Wilder would put it, a neurotheologian. 
Um, not slow track brain thought where you have to sit down and think. Think about when you get up in the morning and you brush your teeth. Do you think about, some of you might think about brushing every tooth. Um, you, maybe you're like more OCD on it. But you, normally when I brush my teeth, I'm doing it and I'm thinking about something else. I'm thinking about my day. I'm, I'm praying. I'm, I'm doing something. Something else. And, and I'm thinking about that while I'm brushing my teeth. Guys, even now that I'm speaking to you, I'm thinking about something else. I can actually have words come out of my mouth while I'm, while, while, uh, I'm thinking about something. So, so like, think driving. Have, have any of you ever uh, driven and got home or got to work or got to your destination, wherever it was, and then realized, oh, that was fast. I didn't realize I got here. That's because you're just doing, your, your brain unconsciously is just thinking and, and can do that, can process that. You didn't think I had to break here, I had to, I had to um, put the clutch here, I had to, uh, the clutch here, I had to um, push the gas here, I had to turn it. Like, your brain just did it without you even thinking. You were thinking about something else. Um, breathing, sleeping, typing, eating. I mean, do you think about every chew, right? Walking, running. Even language, right? That's what's so hard about learning another language is that you have to start by consciously thinking about it. Every single word, how to conjugate things, all that, and until it becomes unconscious or subconscious, like you just do it without consciously thinking. So um, we are primarily beings who are directed by our loves. So by our desires, and we just go what we love. And that's why I say you live what you love. And someone can see what you actually love by seeing how you live and what you do and what your commitments are and where your presence is and how you treat others and how you treat your spouse and your family and your friends and, and how you're on social media. We can see what you love, what pictures you post on social media, how you pose in those pictures, what comments you put on there, right? Like, so we can see how you live what you love. So same thing is happening here. Jesus is painting this picture for us. And so in verse 34 to 35, I told you last week we would get to it. Um, Jesus says, after he had compassion, well, he, the Samaritan, went to him, the victim, bound up his wounds. So he's showing mercy and grace and humility and consideration. Again, this is the overflow in the Samaritan of experiencing love. And he does these things. He binds up his wounds. He uses his own resources, uses his own things. He pours oil and wine on him. He set him on his own animal. He brings him to an end. He took care of him. So all this, guys, is, is extra. It's an integrated life. The Samaritan is like, I'm going this way. It doesn't detract. That's not, my, I'm not in my religious sphere here, my faith sphere here, and my going to Jericho sphere here for my job. It's integrated. And he does that, and then he's super generous. The next day he takes out two denarii, which one of those um, is one day's worth of wages. So he takes out two days worth of wages. He's so generous giving to the incubator. He says, take care of him. Whatever more you spend, I'll repay you when I come back. So above and beyond. To be clear here, guys, when we're talking about loving the Lord, you got with all your strength. I said this last week. I touched on this last week. I'm going to say it again. 
because this is not, it's not about you increasing your own love for God. It's not you saying, yeah, I, I need to love God more. You can't. You can't. If that's your starting point, you can't do that. This isn't about increasing your, your love of God. It's not about willing it into action. Are you, this is about you experiencing the love of God in all spheres of your life. Again, go to last week if you want to hear more about that. Because if you rely on your own strength to do it, you will fail. Every time, you'll fail. The reality is, think about it, the reality is you can't even love those around you, those closest to you very well. That's why you get in arguments all the time. It's why, you know, you're disagreeing, all, all that stuff. Like, we can't even do that very well. So how are you going to willpower your way to loving God more? The concept of willpower, guys, is, is actually somewhat of a myth. Right? Like, um, willpower doesn't have that much power in your life. We kind of... We kind of put a big emphasis on it back in the, I don't know, 90s into, into today. Um, but have you actually tried to will your way out of temptation, for instance? Have you tried to do that? It's pretty difficult. If not impossible sometimes, right? Because willpower isn't actually as strong as we think. And, and you may say, no, I, I think I've, I've done that. Maybe you have. I'd say it's almost impossible. Maybe it's not always impossible. Um, but here's how the Apostle Paul talks about it. Right? Someone we champion in the faith. And if he has these issues, I'm like, man, I, yeah, I, I think I do too. Uh, he says in Romans 7 verse, verse 15, he says, For I don't understand my own actions. It's time on the will. For I do not do what I want. So I will to do that, but I don't do that. I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, what I do not will, I agree with the law that it's good. So, no, so now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. So sin, his loves are directing him, right? This, this, this hostility to the spirit in our flesh, as he says in the next chapter in Romans 8. And so he says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want, I keep on doing. Now if I do not, <laughs> this gets a little confusing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but, that's, but sin that dwells in me. Yeah, he, he goes on and he talks about life in the Spirit and how the Spirit is the only one. This experience of God's love, the fruit of the Spirit, uh, the first fruit of the Spirit that he produces in us is love and joy and peace and all, all the way to self-control, right? To self-control. It has to be born out of love, right? So many of us are trying to will our way out of temptation, trying to will our way to good desires, trying to will our way to God, trying to will our way to love more, trying to will our way to love our enemy, trying to will our way to love our neighbor, trying to will our way to do things, and, it, and you can't do that. You can only choose to experience God's love and to open yourself up to that. Guys, a strong will isn't, I mean, that, that wasn't the key to Jesus' sinless life as much as him realizing and showing us the source of his eternal vocation, the love of God. 
So then he loved his neighbor and even his enemies. Often though, we consider groups of people that aren't our enemies, our enemies. And we say to them, well, Jesus says, um, we're supposed to love our enemies. So that's why we're nice to you. Um, and, and you then all of a sudden you pit someone as the other, you pit someone as the enemy, and, and you say, well, um, yeah, you're, I mean, Jesus says I'm supposed to love my enemy, so you're, you're welcome. And, and uh, we have kind of this, this, this picture here of, uh, uh, and I think sometimes us as Christians, we, we take this and, and we talk about it like that, but we still see the, uh, we still see others as the other, right? We still have this separation between us and them. It's, get it? Like an us and a them. So there's this wall, there's this dividing hostility between us. And, and we try to rationalize it like that. I have a friend, uh, she, and I'm going to say she's a Muslim. I'm going to identify her as a Muslim because, um, you know, that's similar to this, to this story, uh, but also uh, this story that, with the Samaritan, but also because typically in our world today, Christians and Muslims are pitted against one another. And a lot of Christians think Muslims are their enemy. And, um, and uh, some Muslims think that about Christians. And, and so remember what I said last week, though, we, the onus is on us to prove ourselves to be the neighbor. We don't have to wait for anybody else to do that. But my friend, uh, she's, a, she's an author, she's a professor, she's, she's a leader in, in her community. And uh, we were talking about this book that was written by a Christian, and he has great intentions. Uh, but he's writing um, to Christians about Muslims, and she reviewed this book, uh, like published a book review on it. And, and his main argument is, is, is guys, um, with Muslims, we need to welcome them. And he's writing from an American context. We need to welcome them in America because... Um, we are to love our enemy, and she's reading this book, and and she's and she's thinking, I love it. And guys, she was so objective in her book review. She was so gracious, um, uh, but in our conversation, she's like, you know, um, I honor his intentions, and I see why he's going, why he's going there, and what, what he's doing. But why does he think I'm his enemy? I've never done anything to him. He doesn't know me. He sees and exaggerates one bad thing that he sees. Someone say they're a Muslim or a follower of Islam, and then he attributes that to me. And we wouldn't want that for us, right? How many bad Christians have you met? People who identify as Christians but don't actually live the faith and follow Jesus. We wouldn't want that to sully us. And we do the same thing. And this whole argument, although good intentions, it was built off of Jesus calls us to love our enemy. Now Jesus calls us to see our enemy as our neighbor. To see everyone as our neighbor. Do you realize that the image of God is not just in us who call ourselves Christians? If you could start seeing the image of God in 
everybody and all people, then they will move from being your quote-unquote enemy to being your neighbor. If you can remember Genesis 1, 26, 27, that, that God has placed in male and female His image, the image of God in all of us. And more than that, they move from being the other to being yourself. Because we're called to love our neighbor as ourself. But our problem is they're the other when they're supposed to be ourself. And when you can identify with the image of God in you and in them, then it takes away that dividing wall of hostility that Paul says Jesus does in Ephesians. And it makes us one, he says. One flesh, one body in Jesus Christ. Right? Like it, it, he's he's t- trying to take that wall down. We're building it back up. And guys, d- to be clear again, I'm not talking about their behavior and their disposition changing towards you. Again, the onus is on us to prove ourselves to be the neighbor. I'm talking about your disposition, your behavior, your loves changing towards others. Then you live out your vocation to love God and love others. And if you're still persecuted by others, you have the ability and the capacity to do what James says. And James says, count it as joy when you meet trials of various kinds. And then you can do what Peter says, because Peter says, even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings. And Paul says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Repay no one evil for evil. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And then we can do what Jesus says. And Jesus says, in this world, you will have tribulation. But take heart, take courage, for I've overcome the world. Guys, how can we live lives like that? How can we live lives like this? Well, the key is you can't do it alone. You weren't designed to do it alone. You shouldn't want to do it alone. Your strength is increased, not by doing this on your own, but by doing this in community with other people. Because you live what you love in community. And community only works with commitment. This is because commitment means we have committed to building something together. And without commitment, you just have consumerism. C.S. Lewis, he makes the argument that community begins out of commitment and love of friendship. Out of the, sorry, out of the commitment and the love of friendship. You know, when you think about it, he says this in his book, The Four Loves. So there's four loves, and he highlights friendship as one of the key types of love. He says, so community begins out of that. It begins out of friendship. Ecclesiastes 4.2, sorry, 4.12 says that one person alone can be broken. But when there's multiple people, when there's a community, it is not easily broken. We're inviting you in a community. God is inviting you in a community. Trinity Life is inviting you in a community. John 15, 9, uh, John 15, 9 through, I'm just going to read this quickly. This is such a good passage. Um, starting in verse 9, he says this. As the Father has loved me, 
so I've loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. We will we'll dwell together, he says. Community. Just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Community. Trinity life. Uh, these things I've spoken to you, and here's, here's why, that my joy, love, joy, peace, right? Uh, that my joy may be in you. That your joy may be full abounding, overflowing. This is my commandment, that you love one another. How do you do that? As I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, that hireling mentality we talked about. For the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all that I've heard from my father, I've made known to you. That's community. That's the community that Jesus has established. That's the community that he wants you to be in. That's the community of, of love and of joy and of strength, of identity. C.S. Lewis, he also says this in his book, The Four Loves. He says, to the ancients, friendship seems the happiest and most full of, oh, sorry, and most fully human of all loves. It's the crown of life. It's a school of virtue. In the modern world, by comparison, we ignore it. Few value it because few find it. You can find true friendship in, in community. That's where you can love the Lord your God with all of your strength. And then Jesus, end, or, or, yeah, Jesus ends the story and he says, Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the one who fell among the robbers? And the lawyer answers, well, the one who showed him mercy. Two perspectives on this here, on this response. One, it's almost, a, it's almost like the lawyer can't quite say the Samaritan. It's like he can't quite identify him. He's like, well, it's the one who showed him mercy. It's like he can't quite get over his, his racism, his nationalism, his, his, his religiosity, his hubris. Another perspective would be to, on his response. It's almost like the lawyer is moved in his heart to recognize that a person's actions are what define them. Not their ethnicity, not their religion, not their, um, or I should say religiosity, not their nationalism. And so he identifies the Samaritan as his neighbor because he acts in mercy. He recognizes that you live what you love. And Jesus says to him, will you go and do likewise? Again, like I said last week, the, 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 the adjective good for Good Samaritan is not used in the actual text. It's just the subtitle here. Um, and it's kind of been added by interpreters. Uh, and I think sometimes it affects our interpretation because we think, oh, we're doing good things. Um, and some might say it even has ethnic and racial undertones because you're saying, well, um, wow, there is a good Samaritan. All the other ones are bad. Um, but, but Jesus here, I think, is, uh, I, I, well, I don't think that's the point. I think Jesus is trying to point us not to his goodness, but to his love and how he's experienced God's love and how the Samaritan loves his neighbor. Now we kind of like reduce it by saying that's, that's good, but I should say this is the parable of 
of someone who's experienced God's love. And here at the end, we see when Jesus says, you go and do likewise, Jesus doesn't present the Samaritan as someone to be pitied, as someone to be loved, but as someone to be imitated, as someone to model your life after, as someone to follow. This is the strength of community. It's to see how someone else is loved, how they experience God's love, and then how they in turn love out of that, uh, love God out of that, and then how they in turn share that love with others. And then we imitate them as they imitate Christ. That's discipleship. That's disciple-making. Here at Trinity Life, that's what we call R3. You see, R3 isn't something we made up. It's just a name for this. It's a name for, hey, we want you to experience God's love. We want you to love God with everything you are, and we want you to share that love with others. It's discipleship, disciple-making. We just call that R3 here. <clears throat> What's unique about this parable and this story is Jesus identifies everyone in the story. He identifies the Samaritan, the priest, the Levite, the innkeeper, the robbers. He's even specific on the road. Jerusalem to Jericho, known back then as the way of blood because stuff like this happened. But the first character in the story that he introduces is left unidentified. He just calls him a man. He doesn't even call him the man, right? He uses an indefinite article, not a definite article. He just says a man. Why? Why is that? This man, he's not demonized as the other, which a lot of us tend to do, uh, our sinful flesh does. He's also not glamorized as someone important. He's just left faceless, nameless, without any identifying characteristics except a, a man. Why? I think that's because Jesus doesn't want our love for others to discriminate. I think that's because how or why or when you love somebody doesn't depend on them and who they are, but it depends on you and who you are. Some of us might be more like the priest, the Levite, than we think. Are you too dedicated to your religion, like the priest, to love your neighbor when you see someone in need? Are you too focused on your job, your task, what you have to do, like the Levite, to love your neighbor when, when they're in need? Or are you a citizen of another land? Are you, uh, are you uh, an exile from a different world? who shows mercy and grace and humility and consideration. You see, loving your neighbor or your enemy, for that matter, just semantics and nomenclature there, that's not something you have to think about doing. It's something you do unconsciously because of your identity in Christ. And it's something Jesus did for us without even thinking because he's love. 
he didn't think whether we deserved it or not. He said we are all worthy of his love because he can't help but give that to other people. He can't help but give it to us. And when you experience the fullness, the majesty, the beauty, the mystery of God and his perfect, eternal love, you can't help but love him. And you can't help but share that love with others. You can't help but love your neighbor as yourself. You are what you love. You live what you love. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this example. Make us more like you. Make us a church that is more like you. May we build bridges instead of burning them. Because how can we ever share your love with someone if we have no access to them? Help us to live integrated lives. Show us, Father, where, where we need to integrate our lives into your love. And may we just be disciples making disciples for your glory, Jesus, in your name. Amen. If you want to know more about the TLC community, check out trinitylife.ca or you can find us on Facebook. Of course, we'd way rather meet you in person, so we hope to see you at a service soon.